hope you have all had a good week. Um, we're going to get into the last part of First Peter today, and we're going to try to tie all of First Peter together um, to kind of give you a heads up of what's going to be going on the next couple of weeks. Um, Pam and I are going to be out of town next weekend, and Gil has graciously volunteered to step in and take um, Second Peter chapter one, verses one to eleven. The week after that, uh, that's chapter nine in your workbook. Um, the week after that, um, we'll be back, and I'll cover the rest of chapter one, which is chapter ten in your workbook. And we're going to make one adjustment to the rest of the schedule. The twenty-third. We're going to cover chapters 11 and 12 in the workbook. So we're going to cover 2 Peter chapter 2 and 3 on the same Sunday. Just so you know. Okay, and uh, April 30th, there's going to be a members meeting. So we're, that's why we're combining things. So before the members meeting, we'll be finished with Sunday school for this rotation. Um, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into the rest of 1 Peter. Father, thank you for life. Our, our lives are busy. There's a lot of good things going on in our lives. There's a lot of disruptive things going on in our lives. There's a lot of suffering going on in our lives. But you are sovereign and you have shown yourself faithful. Through First Peter, you continually remind us that you are the mighty God who is allowing these things to, to happen and that through these things, you want to prove our faith. We thank you for the busyness of life. Because in the busyness, we are reminded that we need to slow down and listen. Help us to do that this morning. Help us to hear what the Spirit has to say through First Peter. And help us to take it this week and apply it. Not just to be hearers, as John says, but to be doers. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first question for you, um, how do you define humility? Such Not a, how you defined it last week in the sermon. Power how, under control. Power under control. Jeremiah? Lowly-mindedness. What does that mean? Valuing others above yourself. Somebody did their homework this week. So let's read into 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 14. And we'll get into this lesson. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in the faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished among your brethren who are in the world. 
And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. To him be might forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and bearing witness that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. So, back to verse 5. Why is submission to church leaders an important practice for the church, especially for younger people? In the case of the verse, young men. Why does he point out young men specifically? Because they need the wisdom of the older men. What's one of the biggest faults of young men, older men, who have been young men, who have lived this? God opposes the proud. So men are traditionally more arrogant, more proud. Know it all. Yeah. Know it all. Young guys. Okay. Young guys think they have all the answers. It's part of the reason why he pokes them in the chest here. All right. Are, are, are young men the only ones that have arrogant problems? No. It, everybody does in some way. But young men have a special gifting for arrogance, right? So what does this have to do with the practice of the church? We, we kind of talked about this last week, right? This is kind of a rehashed little bit of last week's lesson. God's placed them there in a position of And we're going to come back to that because that's an important piece of this. So scripture commands us to, God has put them in place over us, right? So we are called to submit ourselves to them. It says, be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Um, those of you who read the lesson, the, the, the word clothe yourself, what did it reference in, in, in its meaning? Anybody pick that up? An apron. Okay, a slave tying on an apron. Yeah, to put a bow tie on it. You're, you're making a conscious effort to put humility on and tie it on to keep yourself clean. Think about that. How do you put that humility on? Don't jump ahead now. <laughs> but you're exactly right, because he, he jumps to, in a few minutes, we're going to jump to John, right? And, and, and if you've read the lesson, he, he goes right there, and he gets into that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Somebody read that for me. So 
Who are you to subject yourself to? Jeremiah, read that one more time for us. Fellow worker and laborer. Okay. Um, what about First Thessalonians chapter five, verses twelve and thirteen? We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So comes back to peace, right? If you're showing humility and you are subjecting yourselves to your elders, there's peace. And if you know anybody who's arrogant, there's not a lot of peace there, right? Um, what about uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17? Um, Hebrews sorry I lost my place 1317 there's an important piece here the, the focus of the verse seems to be on the humility part of submitting yourselves right of, say that again there's more. There's more. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Read that again. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, so verse 7. Verse 7 says, To remember your leaders who spoke the word of God among you, considering the result of their conduct. Considering the result of their conduct. So you look to your leaders, you look at their conduct, and what's the result of their conduct? If their conduct is, is honorable, which is what last week was about, right? Their conduct is honorable, you what? Imitate their ways. So your submission, first of all, comes into looking at your elders. And, and, and let's be honest, okay? And, and I don't want anybody to raise their hand or anything, but think about it this way. What's the best way to look into their behavior? Hang out with them? Spend time with them? So, no, don't raise your hands. Um, how often have you had uh, Garrett and Jennifer over at your house for dinner? Or Scott and Connie? Or Blaine and Sandra? John and Kristen? Jimmy and Lori? Because the best way to see how they live is to spend time with them. And I'm not, and yes, we spend time in home group, but we've kind of had this conversation. It's living life together. So are you living life together with your elders? Gil and Leela, are you living life together with your elders? Are you living in such a way that you can see their lives, you can see what God is doing through them, and you can imitate that? 
I told you guys when we started First Peter, this was going to be about this was going to be about not just studying the word, but looking to see how practically this works out in our lives as this royal priesthood that we are. First Peter mentions that, right? Chosen race, royal priesthood. That's us. And he has put these elders, our discussion last week, he's put these elders over us. So now you're to check into their lives and imitate their faith. But this is where we get back to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Not just because they're leaders, not just because Scripture says, but what do they do? They keep watch over your souls because they will give an account for that. And when you know that that person is going to stand before God and answer for their caring for you, what do you think their, their response to that care is going to be? If they know that God's going to be looking at them and saying, so, Garrett, how did you care for the Templetons? If you know that he's going to stand before God and you know Garrett's character, that his desire is to love God and to honor him by his work as an elder, are you going to be more likely to be submissive to him? Knowing that his goal is to stand before God and say that I took care of them. Well, this is the other thing. This is the other piece. And remember, like last week, we, we talked about how those first four verses are about elders, but our role to make sure that they are taking their, they are being loved and cared for. Somebody commented to me this week, um, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but it's kind of the point. Um, somebody commented to me this week that, that we shouldn't, our goal shouldn't be to make their life easier as an, as an elder. That's, their, that's the job that they've been called to do. And we're going to get find a verse later in, in a little bit that kind of smashes that to little bitty pieces. Okay, so be thinking about that. But this, um, so that they will do this with joy and not with Groaning for this would be unprofitable for you. Well, if you make your elders' lives miserable because they're constantly struggling through helping you, that's not profitable for you. They, they, they should have joy in loving you and caring for you, not groaning to love you and care for you. Now, is God going to hold their attitude accountable on this? Absolutely. But that doesn't free you up from your responsibility to bring joy and not groaning to your elders. So according to Peter, let's jump back here. I don't want to get too distracted there. Um, according to Peter, what's involved in true humility? So let's go to verse 6. Therefore... Don't have to say it because you've heard me say it over and over again. Right? Therefore is there for a reason. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And interesting how we like to uh, bumper sticker verses, right? Verse 7 is the bumper sticker verse, right? Cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. But what comes before that? What? Humble yourself. 
But just humble? Oh, I am so terrible. Nobody calls us to do? What's the second part of that verse? Under what? Under the mighty hand of God. Your humility is foundationed under God's greatness. And because you know you have a mighty God that you're humbling yourself under, when that anxiety comes, you can give that to Him because He cares for you. This goes back to our study of gentle and lowly, right? In Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For people who deal with anxiety on a regular basis, this is where they need to meditate. And meditate is not the world's version of meditation of clearing your mind and don't think about anything. Meditation is focusing on what one or two verses say and first, God, thank you for being mighty. Thank you for being gentle and lowly and understanding where I am. Thank you for your care for me. That's meditation. And in those moments when your anxiety is attacking you and you redirect your mind to focus on God's greatness, God's mightiness, his gentleness and his lowliness and his care for you, his care for you will become evident in that moment. Does that make the things go away that cause the anxiety? Does it? Does it make those things go away? No, it does not. But that's not the point, right? Going back to our study in 1 Peter, what's the point of our struggles, of our, our trials, of our sufferings? What's the point? Your faith may be tested. The proof of your faith, which is greater than gold. And you can rely and trust in the fact that in this difficulty and in the anxiousness that I'm feeling, that God is strengthening my faith. And now we're going to jump to where, where Weston took us earlier. John 13, 3 to 17. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
was a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you. Okay. Thank you, McKamey. McKamey, would you read verse 14 again? If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash your feet. And would you read verse 17 again? If you know these things, blessed are you. Okay. Um, so, what does this have to do with true humility? You know I'm going here. So accept it and roll with it. What does it have to do with true humility? <coughs> we love that passage, right? Shows shows the servanthood of Christ, right? <coughs> yeah, verse 14 is very clear. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet also. So, we don't uh, walk around in, well, most of us, don't walk around in sandals all day long. So, the physical act of washing feet, sorry, (laughs) the physical act of washing feet is not something that we have to deal with on a regular basis. So, let's make this direct according to grace. Okay. Um, what would washing one another's feet look like at Grace? Meals. Say it again. Taking meals. Taking meals. It would be like an accountability too, because your feet is where you come in contact with the world. And he said, you know, he's already bathed them, so they're already regenerated, but they still have come in contact with the world. So it's a matter of getting the worldliness. Okay. All right. So these two pieces are so important because let's take these two pieces and look back at Simon Peter's first response. What did he say? Not mine. You ain't touching my feet. So how many of you, when somebody says to you, um, hey, we like to bring a meal over. You go, oh, no, thanks. We don't really need that. Are you letting the body serve you? Uh, brother comes to you and says, hey, can we talk about things that I saw you watching? Oh, it's all good. Nah, it was just something blah, 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 blah. Are you willing to let the body come into your life that way? But this is the other piece to that. And there's, there's two pieces to that. Are, are you allowing the body to act as Christ in these moments. And then in verse 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. What's the uh, inherent statement here? If you don't do them, you are not blessed. God, I want your blessing. Are you doing the things that I've, I've told, told you to do? Don't go to God asking for blessing if you're not willing to be obedient to do the things that he has told you to do. Now, jump back to uh, 1 Peter 4, 11. 
because this verse directly connects to what we're talking about. We talked about this two weeks ago when we talked about the gifts, right? I told you we're not getting into the gift arguments of which gifts are which and which there's two gifts. Remember? That's the first one. 1 Peter 4.11, what's the first one? Speaking. And the second one is serving. So if you're not somebody who stands here and does the first one, guess what your, yours is? You're called to serve. Now, in that service, whose feet are you washing? Um, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Wow, direct connection to last week's sermon, right? And a couple of you mentioned that at the beginning today. All of this is about true humility. If you're not willing to serve others, if you're not willing to proverbially for us, because we don't physically wash feet, but wash the feet of the people around you, you're not showing true humility. So let's keep moving here. I don't want to get stuck. Um, uh, Verse 8 and 9. Be of sober spirit. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished among your brothers who are in the world. So how does Peter describe the devil? What? Roaring lion. Not just a lion, but a loud one. So what's the defense against the roaring lion? Okay, before that. Because resistance is is one of the things that's involved with, with this roaring lion. But what comes before? What did we just talk about? What? Say it again. Humility. Why is that right before this verse? What's popular among some Christian circles today? I can take the devil on. Yeah? I can go toe-to-toe with him. Are we called to do that? We're called to first, what? Humble ourselves under what? The mighty hand of God. So we know we can't do this, but he can. That's our first step. To truly resist the devil, you have to be humble in knowing your place. Second, first part of verse 8. 
Be sober. Mine says, have a sober spirit. What does that mean? What? Clarity of mind. Clear thinking. Undistracted. Uh, what's the next uh, next uh, part say in yours? Be watchful. Maybe have something different. Be alert. Be alert. What's the underlying thought here? Okay, he doesn't like it when we are that way. How many of us aren't that way? How many times has sin snuck up from behind and put a bag over your head? Why? Because you weren't watchful. Guys, in those unguarded moments with your device, are you watchful? Ladies, with your choice of reading material, are you watchful? Now, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, resist him. Your humility, because your trust is in God, you're clear-minded, and you are watching for those moments. Now resist him. What's that resistance look like? Next part of the verse. What? Say it like you mean it. Stand in the faith. What does that look like? Notice it says, seeking someone to devour, not devouring people. Because God only gives him so far on that chain. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're being devoured. But again, what's the, what's the effect of our sufferings? If you're a believer, what's the effect of your sufferings? Prove our faith. So even in that moment when you feel like you're being devoured, where should your focus be? Under the mighty hand of God. On the mighty hand of God. On God. Okay. So who's not the focus? If you read verses eight and nine, who's the focus of verses eight and nine? Read the rest of nine. Your brothers and sisters. Okay, so who's the focus? Who's ultimately the focus? <clears throat> Satan's prowling and his roaring is happening not just to us, it's happening to our brothers and sisters around the world, right? But it's kind of like the book of Esther. Have you read the book of Esther recently? The book of Esther is there's a single mention of God in the book of Esther. But he's everywhere in the book of Esther. 
In verses 8 and 9, there's no mention of God in verses 8 and 9. Satan's mentioned. Our brothers and sisters are mentioned. But he's everywhere. So the sufferings that we're enduring, we have faith in the fact that our brothers and sisters are enduring the same things. And this is why, this is why I say that. Now look at verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while. After you have suffered a little while. Where's the hope in that? The suffering is for a little while. Who? Next part. The God of all grace who called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. So even this focus on the work that Satan is is trying to do, and the struggles that we are dealing with, and the sufferings that we're enduring, he reminds us one last time, you are sojourners and aliens on this planet. And the sufferings that you're going through are to prove your faith. And in those moments when anxiety comes, you cast those anxieties. It's that throwing in confidence. I'm taking my pen and I'm throwing it to Gil because I'm confident he's going to catch it. I'm casting that care on Christ because you know that he cares for you. And there's confidence in that. It's not that, oh God, I hope you'll take this. It's confidence in knowing this is the mighty God, the one who cares for me, the gentle and lowly, who has, whose, whose yoke is easy and, and light, and his care is, is sure. And you can cast your anxieties on him because he, you know that he is going to care for it. Peter ties all of this together with the final, final, again, what's the point of everything we endure? Verse 11. Amen. That's what he says, right? To him be might forever and ever. Amen. We're done. That's what he says. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your might. Because only a truly mighty God can keep that chain on Satan. And the things that you allow him to do to us are those things that you want to prove our faith. Father, in those anxious moments, in those difficult moments, when it feels like he is just biting down on us, Remind us that you are a mighty God, that you care for us, and we can throw those anxieties to you knowing that you have them. And that in the end, you will get glory for all that happens. And you will bless us if we are obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.